all the kids, 10 and under, I think it is, can be dismissed to go to the children's church today? 10 and under, right? You'd think I'd know that after about six years. But sometimes I don't remember things. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. The definition of sovereignty is a supreme power or authority. The word sovereign or sovereignty isn't found in the, in the King James translation anyway. If you look at some other translations, they use that word in there. But, but I looked all over trying to find it in the King James, and then I just had to go to my concordance and find out that it's not in the King James. right? And I consider King James the authority, but, but even though that word is not in there, it's kind of like the rapture. The, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but it spends a lot of time speaking about when Jesus comes back. Right? It talks about it a lot. So the Bible talks about God's sovereignty. It talks about his supreme power, his supreme authority, but it doesn't actually use the word. But we're going to use it today, right? So God's an absolute ruler and controller and sustainer of all of his creation. We can all agree on that today, right? Yeah. Amen. We all, we all say that we believe that right there, but I want to go a little deeper with you today. Nothing happens without God causing it to happen or allowing it to happen. Nothing, not one thing can happen without God allowing it to happen or causing it to happen, right? No such thing as chance. No such thing as luck. No such thing as surprising God. God you'll never hear God say, I didn't see that one coming. You're not here by some chance today. You're here because this is the service that God wanted to have you in an Excelsior Springs, right? On this day for this message, that's why you're here for Right? Because he, he had something for you here in store on this day. Nothing by chance, right? He knows the end from the beginning. Right? He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We try to outsmart him still anyway, though, right, church? He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He has unlimited power. Right? The Bible uses the word dunamis. That means unlimited power. More power than an atomic bomb. Right? More power than man could ever muster up. This guarantees his sovereignty. He know, You can't have a meeting and try to overthrow him because he's in your meeting. Amen? You can't try to oppose him because he already knows. He's already set things in motion. Amen? In Luke 12, chapter 12, it says he knows the hairs on your head. He knows how many hairs you have or they're numbered. Now think about that right there. It also says, in another book of the Bible, it says that not a sparrow falls from the sky outside of his will. I'm still talking about the sovereignty of God. He knows the number of hairs on each and every person's, on, on, the, earth, on the face of the earth, he knows how many hairs are on their head. So not one falls to the ground without him knowing about it. Think about this now. Think about how big God is. Think about how big just Missouri is and how many people are in it. And then the United States. And then, and, and then the continent, and then, and, and then the world. And how many hairs have fallen out just at the time that I have spoke about this? And God knows every one of them. God knows every one of them, right? God is molecular. It goes deeper than just hairs. He, he knows all the atoms, and molecular means relating to or existing of molecules. He goes down to the molecules, every little atom. He knows every atom that's on the face of the earth. Amen, right? If he knows everything, he knows about every proton, neutron, what makes up the atoms. He knows everything about the atom, right? I got a revelation the other day at work when I was studying this out, and, and, and I was wondering, you know, I saw some patches in the floor, and you think, I wonder what they did that for, because you can see where they cut something out to do something, either, either change some tooling or repair something, or you all ever wondered something like that? Maybe it's just me. My mind wants to know how things work. Right, but I was—I said, I wonder what they cut this part of the floor out for. Was there used to be something here, or you could see where there's another part where there used to be a rail at? And I, but God knows 
when they did it, why they did it. He got deeper than this with me. He knows how each little piece of gravel that's laying in that concrete patch, how it's laid in there, how many pieces of gravel there are, what they're made out of, the time they were put in there, what positions they're lying in, each little piece of sand that's in there, the Portland that's around it. He knows every atom and every molecule of that thing. And you can look around everywhere and see him in it. Look, look at this carpet here today. He knows every strand of every fiber. He knows every proton and neutron that's in the carpet. He knows when it was made, what the source of it was. Where it, he's the source of all things, but he knows where they got, the, he knows where they got the, the, the petroleum that they made out of. You get what I'm saying? God is molecular. He goes down to the smallest, itty-bitty, tiny detail. Church, if we realize this today, that's huge. That's huge because if God knows all those things and he's in control of all those things, wouldn't we give him control of everything? Right? We have no idea what's going on around us. Not, I don't know who made this carpet. I don't know when it was laid. Not that the carpet matters, but you get what I'm saying. He knows everything all the time. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next year. He knows when the rapture is going to be. He knows everything. He knows all about all of it. Yet we still try to outsmart him. We still want to try to do it our way. I still want to have control of things. Sounds like a teenager, doesn't it? Right? You ever had your kids try to outsmart you? I've been around the block a few times. I have, believe it or not. I'm 47, year old, 47 years old, and there's not many 13-year-olds that are smarter than me. They might, know, they might have some book knowledge. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? That's kind of how we're treating God. We, we, we think of the devil as this big bad man so many times, and he gets on us, and he knocks us down, he beats us up, he keeps us depressed, he, he, he keeps us shoved down, he does all these things to us, but I want to read you some scripture today. Say, it, it, it's Job 1, 6 through 12. God, Satan came to God two times, two times. He came to answer to God, I believe, and when God asked him what he was doing, God gave him permission to do something. So it says, now, now there was a day when the sons of God came to, to, to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came to them. I believe he came to give account for what he was doing. Even Satan has to answer to God. Amen? God created Satan. He's got to answer to him. He's not this big bad man. Our God, who's our father, who we have a relationship with, is even in control of him. In control of all the bad and the good. Every, everything on this planet, he's in control of. He's a sovereign God. If we get this down into us, it would be huge. It would be huge because if, he's, if he controls all these things, we can give him control of everything, right? And verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where did you come? So Satan answered to the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Right? Like he was trying to act like a lion. The Bible never says he was a lion, but he's trying to act like a lion. He's trying, he's trying to walk to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You see that word may? He has to have permission. Amen? Still talking about God's sovereignty. And verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on all the earth and blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan, in verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Does he, does he do this for no reason? God, is because you've given him everything. That's why he fears you. That's why he serves you. That's what he was saying in verse 10 says, have you not, met the, met, or have you not made a hedge around him 
around his household, around all that he has on every side. Uh, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in, in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And verse 12 says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. God gave him permission. Amen. In your power, only do not lay a hand on his, on his person. So Satan went out from among the presence of the Lord. Right? Satan went out to deliver a bad deed. Doesn't say God put bad things on good people. Didn't say that, did it? It says he allowed Satan to, to test them, to put them through a trial, to see what they're really made of. Sometimes we go through some things. We're going to go through some things, church. Let's see what happens next. Satan has to come back and talk to God again. In, in, in Job 2, 1 through 6, it says, Again, there was a day when the, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also among them, or also came, came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And he says, and he answered the Lord and said, from, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it, trying to act like a lion again, trying to act like that, that, that big bad man that we, want, that we want to represent him to be, right? He's a fake. He's a phony. God's in control. My little girl, Grace, she's seven, but she understands it. She says he's a little bitty, teeny, tiny little sucker. That's what she says about Satan. Anyways, verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds, holds fast to his integrity. Even after you've taken all of his possessions away, his children have died, all these things have happened to him, he still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me, incited me against him to destroy him without cause, Verse 4 says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that, all that a man has, he will give for his life. He was saying that, 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 that his riches and things that he had were worth less than his life to him. He was agreeing with that. But verse 5 says, stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said, Satan, behold, he is, your, he is in your hand, but spare his life. There's bad sicknesses. There's bad things that happen in the world, right? They're delivered by a foul spirit. They're delivered by Satan. That's why they're bad. doesn't say God did it. It says Satan did it. But Satan had to come and get permission. Nothing happens on this earth without God causing it to happen or allowing it to happen. Do we understand that? More examples of God's sovereignty. God being large and in charge. God being in control. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning... God made the heavens and the earth. He made the whole place, made everything in it, made us, breathed life into them. Yet we want to outsmart God. Until you're creating things and giving life to things, don't even try. Right? Revelations 1 and 8 and 22 and 13 says he's the alpha and omega, the, the, the beginning and the end. He always has been and he always will be. Amen. Still talking about God's sovereignty. Jeremiah 32, 17 says nothing is too difficult for God. Proverbs 2 and 24 says he directs the steps of our path. Our steps are directed by him, right? If we're not allowing him to direct our steps, we're in rebellion then, wouldn't you say? 
direct rebellion to God. When we get outside of his way and his will and we try to figure it ourselves, we're in direct rebellion to God. Reminds me of a teenager again. Moses tells Pharaoh, I am. He said, he said who, who, who should I tell him sent me? You just tell him that the I am sent you. I'm still talking about God's sovereignty. God's large and he's, he's Daniel and the lions then. Daniel goes in. There was nothing wrong with those lions. What happened to the people to his accusers? They threw them in and immediately it says they broke their bones before they hit the ground. There was nothing wrong with those lions. But God shut the mouths of the lions. God's sovereign. He, he, he's in power. He's in full authority. Right? What about Samson? God used Samson. Even, even when Samson had mucked it all up, God still used him to kill more Philistines in his death than he ever killed in his life, right? What about Abraham? God made him the father of many nations even when his wife was past menopause. Lord, I hope he doesn't do that to me. <laughs> what about the three Hebrew boys? My wife jokes about adopting another child sometimes when I say, no, 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 please don't. God, please don't do that to me. I'm 47. I want to retire. I'm done. Anyway, three Hebrew boys. The three Hebrew boys, God was right there with them. Right there with them in that fiery furnace. Delivered them out of Didn't even smell like smoke. The, the, the people that threw them in, the strong men that threw them in there, killed them. What about Gideon? Still talking about God's sovereignty. What about Gideon? Gideon was, was down in a, in a wine press, hunkered down, scared to death, trembling, I'm sure. And the, and, and the, lion, or the, the, lion, the lion didn't come. The angel came and said, mighty warrior. And Gideon argued with God. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm down here scared. And he told him again, mighty warrior. And what happened? Gideon didn't even have to fight. They broke pitchers and had lanterns. And, and the army that was much greater than they turned on themselves and killed each other. I'm talking about the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things. What about the children of Israel? Think about that story. I mean, it had God's stamp all over it. God's fingerprints were everywhere in that story, from, from, from the plagues that delivered them to, to, to crossing the Red Sea. More proof that God's molecular. Now think about this. All the way down to the little atoms. Think, they, have, they have different things. They say there was an earthquake and the water stacked up, the, the, the wind blew. Do you know how long it takes the wind blowing to dry up mud like that? Have you ever tried to dig in a pond? It's, it's an old dried up pond. It can be wet still for years. I'm telling you, through droughts in the summer and everything else, it wasn't the wind that blew. God is molecular. He's in every atom. What happens when you dehydrate water? It becomes air, right? He just stacked that water up out of there. Amen? He dried the ground up. He's in control of all those things, all the way down to the little tiny atoms in it. Does that make sense? What about the children of Israel? He did that. He, he, he provided for them. He walked around with them. He did all these things. Elijah. Now get this. Elijah prayed. It didn't rain for three and a half years. You think God's not sovereign? No rain for three and a half years. And at his request, it rained again. He was in tune with God. Not a man trying to figure it out himself. What about Jesus? What about Jesus himself? His finger, God's fingerprints are all over Jesus too. But, but just think about this one thing. What came to my mind was when Jesus would be in the midst of a crowd and they would decide they wanted to kill him and he slipped away. Just to slip away from a big, can you imagine being in the middle of a stadium and you're just going to slip away when everybody else in there wants to kill you? 
and you're just going to slip out. Talk about God being sovereign, right? He even uses the sky, God does. In Psalms 19 and 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. I was on my way to work the other morning, and it was dark outside. It was 4.30 in the morning, and it was dark. But there was an orange glow over on the horizon that went partway up the sky. Did anybody else see that? It went partway up the sky, and there were just clouds that were just rippled all the way across the sky. It was beautiful, beautiful, but I could still see it. Amen? God is so good. He, he, he's, he's so sovereign. In Romans 8 and 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good for them that love God. For them that love God, everything, even when it seems bad, like Brother Adam's accident he talked about in Sunday school this morning, even when it seems bad, even when it seems bleak, it all works together for the good. It goes on to say, to them who are called according to his purpose. Are you living according to God's purpose? Is our purpose his purpose? Are our goals his goals? Can I get an amen? Y'all going to get quiet right here, right? Look at Joseph in this, talking about being called according to his purpose. Joseph was sold into slavery, had, had false rape charges put against him, spent time in prison. All these things happened to Joseph. And when his brothers came, he, he, he was second in charge only to Pharaoh. He could have said, off with their heads. And it would have been done like that. He could have said that, but he said, no. What did he say? What did he say, church? He said, what you meant for evil... God turned it around for good. God raised a whole nation of people up out of Egypt, brought them through the famine, brought them through all those things because God took what they meant for evil and turned it around for good. I feel the Holy Ghost in that right there. All things go together for the good for those who love the Lord. If your faith is in God, your words will agree with him. Your words will agree with his words. Amen. We have a free will, though. God, you, you say, I don't have to do that. I, don't have to, I, I can do this on my own. You do have a free will. But God gave you a free will to use it to follow after his plan. And if you're doing anything besides that, you're living in rebellion. Full-blown rebellion against God. God is sovereign. And God is in control. Why can't we trust him? Why do we have such a hard time? When, when I understand that God is molecular... Such a tiny little thing, that's huge for me. I understand that when he's in charge of all the little bitty tiny things, he's in charge of everything. He's in control of everything. Nothing escapes him. Amen? Anybody ever flown commercially before? Most of us have, right? If you have, you've probably more than likely flown in a, in a Boeing 747. I went to aircraft school right after high school, so I know a little bit about airplanes. I went and got my airframe and power plant license to be able to work on anything on an airplane besides the avionics. So I want to give you a few fun facts this morning, right? A Boeing 747 weighs 404,600 pounds. Think about that. Almost a half a million pounds sitting there empty with no fuel in it, no cargo in it, no nothing. Just the, just the fuselage and the, and the engines, 404,600 pounds, right? Its maximum takeoff weight, though, is up to, depend, depend, depending on how it's configured and what they have and how, how, it's, how it's equipped, is up to 970,000 pounds. And you wonder, how does, that's almost a million pounds. How does almost a million pounds fly? How does it do it? And I'll, I'll tell you right now this morning. It flies because of the shape of the wing. The bottom of the wing is flat and the top of the wing is arched. So the same air that hits the front of the wing meets in the back of the wing. 
So the air going over the top has to move faster, and the air on the bottom has, is pressurized, right? It has pressure, so it creates lift. At a certain speed, it makes enough lift to pick up 970,000 pounds. The wings of a 747 are designed so that they can flex up and down 15 feet without breaking off. 15 feet. So they won't break off. Amen? But they can't land with that 970,000 pounds. If they landed with the 970,000 pounds, it'd rip the wings off of them. Right? You follow me so far? Is that making sense to you? So the difference in the, the empty weight and the full, the, the maximum takeoff weight is 565,400 pounds that they can have in payload and fuel. So you might be thinking, if they take off with 970,000 pounds, how are they going to be a half a million pounds lighter before they hit the ground? Do you know that if a Boeing 747 or any large plane takes off from an airport and they have to land immediately, they don't, have, they don't get to take their flight, they have, to jet, they have to do what they call jettison fuel. They've got to pump fuel out of it, the, the fuel stored in the wings, and they've got to pump fuel out of the airplane and just let it atomize in the air because if they land, it's going to rip the wings off. And 500,000 pounds of fuel is a nasty, nasty mess, right? You're talking about a big fire when it hits the ground. So anyway, they have this much payload in this fuel. So uh, <clears throat> we get in these things, though, and we fly with no question at all. Most, a lot of you didn't even know how it created lift, how it even flies, what it weighs, how much fuel it has in it, if the pilot's drunk. <laughs> Seriously, we don't know nothing about it. We get in it, we have no clue. But we get the taxi down the runway, and we're running over 100 mile an hour before we leave the ground. That's my favorite part. It's when the front end lifts up, and, and you feel your... You feel your hind end leave the ground. That's an awesome feeling, I think. But, however, we do that without, without any question. Those of you who said you've flown before, though, you, you've flown in a, has anybody here ever flown a plane, been the pilot of a plane? Good, because I didn't want your feedback if you did. <laughs> the rest of you, have you ever went in the cockpit and told the pilot how to fly the plane? No. No, he goes to school for years. Most airline pilots have been in the military and done 20 years in a fighter jet to be able to fly, to be able to fly a commercial airliner, right? We, we wouldn't think of telling them how to fly that plane. What about God? What about God? He's molecular, but we want to tell him how to do things. We want, we want to go ahead and, and get our hand on the flight controls and, and try to take over ourselves. Amen. It might be dark outside. We don't know what's going on. We might be in the middle of a storm. You want to grab a hold of the controls? That'd be nonsense, wouldn't it? That'd be silly. Yet we do it to God. We do it to God all the time. If we were to do that right now today, if you, if you went up there to the KCI and you jumped on a Boeing 747 and you went up in the cockpit, anybody ever been in the cockpit of a 747? There are switches from, from the floor up over your head. There, there's controls everywhere. There, there's a checklist to even start one of the engines on it. Y'all get what I'm saying? So if we were to go up there and tell the pilot to get over, we're going to take over, it would cause unscheduled contact with the ground. That's what would happen. I'm still talking about God being supernatural, right? About God being in charge of everything. That's, what, that's exactly what we do in our lives. When we say, God, scoot over. I got this. I got this one. You, you, don't worry yourself about this small thing here. I got this. I got it. Of course not. We'd never do that to the pilot. So why do we do it to God? Why do we do it to God? God knew us before we were conceived. 
Think about that. Think about that. God knows the number of hairs on our head. Yet we don't trust him in his plan for our life. We have a problem trusting him. We should trust him with every detail, no matter how big or how small it is. Think about that. My God is molecular. He's in control of the little bitty tiny things that I can't even see. If he's in control of that, shouldn't I trust him with the big things? All those big things are made out of those little tiny things. Billions and billions of them. Amen. I hope this, I hope this is uh, speaking to someone today. It spoke to me when he showed me that he was molecular, that I got to trust him with everything. And when I get myself in the way, I need to let the master fly the plane. I need to let him have total and complete control. Every time. Not part of the time, not sometimes. Not every once in a while. Amen? How many of y'all are really good at getting things done yourself? At least we think we are. We, we apparently think we are because we try. We try. When we push God out of the way and hop in the pilot seat, and how's that working? We make a mess of things. We, we make that unscheduled contact with the ground. So many times it's dark outside. So many times we're in the middle of a storm. How foolish. How foolish are we to think we can outsmart God? Can we go ahead and close in prayer today? Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you, Daddy. We just praise your mighty name. Lord, I pray that your words today, Lord, would fall on good, rich, deep soil, Lord. That it would spring forth roots, Lord, and produce a fruit, produce a bountiful harvest out of your church, Lord, out of Grace Family Worship Center, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to realize that you're in every, everything, Father God, and you're in control of everything, Lord, and nothing happens outside of your will, Father God. If we just get that right there, Father God, we would, we, we would have an easier time agreeing with your will, Father. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to see this on this day. Lord, cause this to... to, to Grow us spiritually, Lord. Mature us spiritually, Father God. To grow us up to be strong Christians, Lord, that produce fruit, Lord. We thank you for this, Daddy, and we praise you, Father God. Lord, we pray that you would just have your way in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, Lord, in our finances, in our marriages, Lord. Have your way in everything that we do, Father God. Lord, please help us to learn to follow you, Lord, instead of trying to lead you, Daddy. We thank you for these things, Father God. We praise you, Lord. Lord, help us to remember that you're in us everywhere that we go, Father. Everything that we do, Father God, you're right there with us, Daddy. We thank you for all that you do, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Father. Please, please just keep us safe. Bring us back here on Wednesday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.